Welcome to this BTOG podcast. My name is Tom Newsom Davis, and I'm a medical oncologist at Chelsea and Westminster Hospital in London. I'm vice chair of the BTOG steering committee. I hope by now that you know that this is part of our regular podcast series entitled BTOG Does, where we have informal chats with experts in their field and we tackle the most important questions that we all face in the diagnosis and the treatment of thoracic cancers. It's important to say that the sponsors of BTOG do not in any way have any input to the planning, content or delivery of anything that we discuss. So today's podcast is called BTOG Does What's New in Lung Cancer Nursing. I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by a friend of BTOG, member of the BTOG steering committee, Karen Clayton. Karen is a uh, lung cancer specialist nurse, of course. She is a lead nurse at East Cheshire Hospitals, and she's also the vice chair of the Lung Cancer Nurses UK group. So she is a busy lady. Uh, Karen, welcome to our podcast. Thank you, Tom, and thanks very much for the invitation. It's our great pleasure. So we, by complete coincidence, um, or we'll, we'll pretend it was deliberate, but by complete coincidence, we have chosen this meeting about five or six days after the first inaugural National Cancer uh, CNS's Day. Um, so it's a good time to be discussing all things um, cancer CNS. Um, tell me, Karen, with the National Day, what was that, do you think, trying to do? Because the impression that I got after our chat before this podcast is maybe we don't understand the role of the CNS that well. What do you think the role is and how can the long day improve that? I think it's been um, a really important um, national campaign to try and um, improve the understanding of what a clinical nurse specialist does. I think if you're working within the role, it's it's quite evident. But if you're not in that, in that arena, um, it can be quite... Um, mystifying to what we actually do. Um, I mean, the role, it's a very complex role. Um, we do all sorts of complex care, working alongside our colleagues to make sure that the patient has the best outcome, best experience that they possibly can. And that can be from physical symptom control, emotional and psychological support. So it's a whole package that we, we provide. And I think sometimes our colleagues don't really understand that. So no, today to try and um, raise the profile. I, I think people don't understand it, actually. I, I think we should by, by now. Um, but I guess what we perhaps want to focus more on is what's new, um, because there are lots of things going on, and how is the lung cancer specialist nurse role evolving? What challenges do we have? And my understanding is that Lung Cancer Nurses UK have produced a report which has really focused on this. I wonder if you could tell us why that occurred or maybe what your, your salient findings were. Yeah, of course. Um, so obviously, over the past two years have been extremely challenging for any healthcare professional. Um, and in the beginning, um, CNSs were redeployed to the front line, so to speak, which obviously left a great big gap in service. Um, again, I think some of it was not really understanding the service that we were leaving behind. Um, and we wanted to produce a report that would help our lung CNSs to really shout about what they do to the wider audience um, and hopefully not uh, be redeployed again. Yeah, I mean, it certainly had a huge impact, hasn't it? And I think yeah. our nurses are now back in, in the fold, but it was, it was a bleak, a bleak time. Um, and is it, apart from that kind of preventing the redeployments, I think you also mentioned in our, in our pre-podcast chat about 
other things like retention and how do we attract new nurses? What was your conclusions on that? So obviously we want to attract new nurses into the profession. Um, you know, we have a lot of nurses that are within the next 10 years are looking to retire, myself included. Um, so we need to <laughs> we need to boost the numbers so that you know we can continue to provide the service that we do. Um, so the report, it, the framework, it is um, complex and caring, was produced for three things really. One to encourage nurses into lung cancer nursing and what they will be expected to, the experience they're expected to have and the uh, qualifications they're expected to have. Um, second part was to obviously to retain those nurses that we've already got um, and encourage them into advanced roles. Um, like you said, the, the role of the nurses, uh, the CNS is um, expanding. And then thirdly, I suppose we wanted to produce this for our policy policymakers, our CCGs, our people, money people, so we can, again, encourage people into the profession. Yeah. Because we, we do have standards, don't we? And I, I don't, I don't um, admit I don't know them, but we, we have standards in terms of the numbers of patients newly diagnosed in a cancer unit per specialist nurse, if you don't mind me putting it that way. Yeah, so it's um, I can't remember the numbers. It's 80 per year. 80. Wow. One whole time equivalent, which wow. doesn't sound, well, it sounds a lot, but that's new diagnosis. That doesn't take into consideration the ones that you'll still be supporting from last year or the year before because of the advances in treatment. Yeah. Um, so our caseloads are getting bigger, which is because of advances in treatment, which is absolutely yes. great, um, but they are getting bigger. Um, yes. And I, I am, I'm wagering that, that most people listening to this are going to go, one nurse for every 80 patients, we don't have that. And certainly in, in our hospital, we, we diagnose around 250 patients a year and we have two nurses. Um, and yeah, it's incredibly busy. And as you say, that the numbers, the activity's gone up because people are living longer, which is fantastic. Uh, but that does bring huge challenges without sounding selfish uh, with that. Yeah. Um, okay, when we're thinking about the lung cancer specialist nurse role, is, is there a standard job description? Is there something that your organisation, uh, Lung Cancer Nurses UK, recommend? Or, or does, is the job description going to be very variable according to where you are and what you do? It does. And, it, you know, we've got, we're all lung cancer nurses, uh, but we all have a different role within that. that it's, it's almost an umbrella term, really, because we'll have, patient, we'll have nurses supporting patients' di diagnostic centres um, and then transferring over to oncology, onto tertiary centres um, and then seeing patients when they come back. Um, or we'll see patients from pre-diagnosis to end-of-life care, which is what I do. So um, the job description will be very much tailored to the area that you're in. Um, the framework gives you the idea of what you should be, what should is the basis of that job description. Yeah. And is, is that framework, sorry, my ignorance, is the framework a kind of an NHS national thing or is that something well, you guys trying to push for at the moment. That's what we're right. working hard on. So to, to, to have a kind of basic structure and then you can amend accordingly to your wishes or your interest. Yeah. And what would you say to a colleague, let's say with someone listening to this excitedly on the bus home, and they say, well, this is great because I've, I'm doing job X, but what I really want to do is be involved in, I don't know, the more palliative care aspect of it. What, what would you say to them? Should they should presumably go to their line manager and say, draw up and work out their existing plan and then describe what they want and what, how would you advise a colleague who's wanting to 
shift the focus of their job. Absolutely. I mean, that's where your personal development plan comes into the into situ, isn't it? When with your line manager and you should be developing on what you want to, how you want to move the service forward. So if you you feel that you've got a gap with palliative care, then that's the, that's the knowledge that you need to go and gain. Um, if you want to develop a nurse-led clinic, for example, you know there's lots of uh, lots of resources out there, especially lung cancer nursing UK to give them a plug um, on how to do that and business and how to formulate business cases as well. And they presumably access that through your website. Yes, absolutely. There's a there's a plug for you. Yeah. Um, so obviously, yeah. lung cancer nurses UK, wonderful organisation, almost as wonderful as Beton. Of course. Um, but I think there are other organisations which have kind of in this field, and Macmillan is, is huge. Um, and my understanding is that they've been very much involved in focusing on nursing generally. You mentioned to me a little bit earlier about a sum they're putting in and their, and their kind of plans for the next few years. Could just enlighten us a little bit about that, if you could. Yeah, so Macmillan um, Cancer Support did a report on not lung cancer nurses per se, but on cancer nurse specialists and how they're going to be needed in the next few years. And they, they estimate they're going to need about 170 million to fund around 4,000 additional nurses by 2030 to keep up with demand of patients being diagnosed and, and needing that support. So it's going to be massive. Um, they said that if they continued with the funding as it is at the moment, by 2030, we will, in England, have a 3,300 uh, shortfall of cancer nurses. Wow. Yep. And yet my understanding is, and I, I may have misunderstood all the all the press, but the numbers applying to do nursing are going up generally in the wake of COVID and people appreciating this is a much better career than selling houses yeah. and other such nonsense. Um, so this, this should be, we, we should be on a positive spin, shouldn't we? That Absolutely. more people want to do it and, no. and we have organisations willing to help um, become specialists. Yeah, absolutely. And it's about encouraging those new nurses into the specialism. Um, yeah. And coming, spending some time with the specialist nurses in the hospitals that you're in and really finding that niche of, of what yeah. you want to do. So um, before we get too overexcited about how wonderful it is, let, let's challenges, <laughs> because it hasn't been an altogether easy um, couple of years. Um, don't want to bang on about COVID, but it has had a huge impact on what we do. And, you know, challenging times always NHS somehow. What do you think have been the big challenges generally in, in lung cancer nursing in the past couple of years, apart from the redeployment, which you've, you've touched on already? I think um, supporting the patients in the early, early time of COVID where we all moved to telephone calls rather than face-to-face -face conversations. I think that was quite challenging for a lot of nurses. Um, mm, I agree. You know, and we have a lot of patients that are immediately put on the, on the shielding list. You know, that fear factor of having to, you know, support patients through that, that was very difficult. And getting used to the whole virtual world has been quite, quite a challenge. I think that's quite a challenge for everyone. But, you know, you're used to sitting down and talking to someone face-to-face, -face, picking up those non-verbal cues, and that's, that's extremely difficult over a telephone. Like we can't do it over a telephone, can we? So, um, you know, I've got a patient at the moment who will tell you he's absolutely fine, no problems at all, but you go and sit in front of him and you can immediately yeah. say that he's not, yeah. <laughs> you know? So that's been, that's been challenging. Have you found over the years you have to be more accessible? So I was thinking about it, Chelsea Westminster, 
um, our specialist nurses now have a mobile phone, which might like a kind of fairly basic thing to do. But it's a comparatively recent arrival the past couple of years, whereas if I look back to when I started here, it seems like a million years ago, it was just a landline. I, I guess people do rightly want more access to their healthcare professionals in the same way that we all want access more to all of our professionals. So have you found that over the years? Yeah, and also email. Obviously, you know, we've got yeah. tech, tech savvy, you know, so we're getting a lot of emails of as well. Um, always worry when an email's like two or three o'clock in the morning, because obviously it's about patients up and worrying. Um, so, yeah, so we have a lot of email contact with our patients. Um, like you say, telephone, patients don't have our mobiles, but obviously um, health professionals do. Um, and we're also on a bleep system as well. So... Um, yeah, we are more accessible, I think. A lot of other roles get pushed on to specialist nurses, um, sometimes a palliative care, a palliative nurse role, even if a particular specialist nurse isn't wanting to do that role. That, that's been a perennial issue. I mean, I remember that going back years and years and years. And it's getting more difficult as, as palliative care services get e equally pressured, don't they? Have you found that as well? Absolutely. And what you'll find sometimes with lung cancer patients, they don't actually, even though they need that uh, emotional, psychological symptom control support, it won't be deemed um, complex enough for referral to specialist palliative care. So the lung CNSs are holding on to these patients a lot longer than they probably would do before referring on. Yeah. Um, right up to end of life. You know, they might not actually be referred over to specialist palliative care at all. It might be a conversation with the district nurses and the GPs. So, um, yeah, we're, we're having to expand the role even further to encompass that. Um, back onto our positive spin. We don't want to be too negative. Uh, there are huge opportunities now uh, in oncology clinics. Um, in fact, thoracic oncology clinics all the way from treatment, nurse-led treatment clinics, follow-up clinics. Tell us a little bit about the roles that you've come across um, people doing and the kind of benefits you perceive. I'm a huge supporter of this and I'd be interested to hear your, your views. Well, I am, because I do nurse-led clinics. I think they are uh, great for the patient. We get really good feedback. Um, so we have uh, nurses across the UK doing immunotherapy clinics, um, TKI clinics, palliative care clinics, uh, post-surgical and post-radiotherapy clinics, um, which is great because it, it, it gives the patient the time to discuss other things than just treatments and also allows our colleagues like yourself to get on with the really complex patients that you need to see in clinic. So it, it's a win-win, really. And is there someone listening to this and, and uh, they are hugely inspired by this? As of course it will be. Um, and they're thinking, I want to do a follow-up clinic and in fact um specialist nurse michelle i work with at the west middlesex is is very interested in doing this um and if like me you're a complete idiot you don't quite know the next step to take and how to do this wh where do our colleagues um, make that next step if they want to develop for example a nurse-led tki clinic or follow-up clinic or whatever it might be so obviously you have to have backing of your trust you know any clinic yes. needs to be paid for you know, so um, you need to back in of your trust. You need to probably put a business case together for it. But I would say start small, work up, you know, get a niche of patients that you can actually um, look after. And But most, most importantly, the nurse that's going to do it has to have the academic and experience behind them. And they have to be um, supported 
to be able to do that. Yes. So I've done a little bit of this with pharmacists and I have been a supervisor for my pharmacy colleagues becoming independent prescribing pharmacists yeah. and they run their um, their clinics. Is it presumably a similar kind of thing? You, you find yeah, your call. Absolutely. I mean, you find someone willing to help you. Yes, absolutely. I mean, um, if you were doing a nurse-led clinic, you would expect to have at least clinical di um, exam diagnostics at massive yes. level. And also yes. preferably non-medical prescribing, although yes. you can get round a nurse-led clinic without prescribing, but it's, it's beneficial if you can do it. So we say we champion this completely, but make sure you have your qualifications, make sure you're backed by your trust. Absolutely. I've always thought about is try and hopefully people have a, a, a suitable electronic patient record to for nurses to document all the inputs they do, because I think so much goes unseen and the trust often doesn't see the value, sadly, the financial value in a specialist nurse. So every time you see someone, write it down or have a clinic or something. Absolutely. And it, the benefits of having seen an actual formal clinic, the trust can see what's you know, the benefit of, uh, of that patient going into that clinic, then it will reduce waiting times as well because they won't be pushed into a general respiratory clinic. Fantastic. Uh, last question. So let's say that we have people listening who are saying, this is great. Um, I'm, you know, I really enjoy my work, but it's very difficult for me to, uh, I haven't got time to do uh, additional training. I, I find it difficult to access um, education, professional development, what, what avenues are there for people to seek um, additional training, courses, whatever it might be? It's a difficult one, isn't it? Because yes, I get the fact that we're far too busy and um, we, what we need to develop. And I think that's, again, that's why you need the, the um, support of your colleagues and the consultants and the trust to say, well, I need this time out, I need to be able to do this. And then that will benefit the patients and it will benefit the trust. I think it's, it's putting your case forward of how you're going to benefit a patient, be the trust. Um, and, and this is what I need to do. And does Lung Cancer Nurses UK, do you, excuse my ignorance, you, you run annual meetings? Do you run online yeah, courses absolutely. as well? So we have lots, we have workshops on, uh, we have um, on the website, we've got uh, webinars on how to do business cases, nurse-led follow-up. We also have our national conference as well. Um, we stay away from BTOGs, so hopefully they can, right, right, <laughs> they can um, attend both. Um, but um, yes, if anyone's interested, just get in touch. Fantastic. And, help um, and, 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 and to re-echo re re that about BTOG, um, we're very proud of our, of our CNS members, one of our largest uh, uh, mem uh, membership groups. Um, and uh, we would, of course, always encourage people to come along to um, any of the BTOG educational events. Um, Karen, that takes us to the end of our allocated 20 minutes. Thank you so much uh, for sparing your evening to talk to me. Um, so thank you, John Clayton, for joining me. Uh, thank you to our audience for listening. We hope that gave you some insight into uh, lung cancer nursing specialism. For more information on BTOG, including education events, and of course, how to join, which we both recommend you do, you can visit www.btog.org. Thank you for listening. Thank you.